Walt Disney announced yesterday that it is acquiring Pixar, the animated film studio that has made such hits as The Incredibles, Finding Nemo, and Toy Story. As part of the $7.4 billion deal, Pixar's founder, Steve Jobs, will become a Disney board member and also its biggest shareholder. Wharton marketing professor Peter Fader is here, along with Knowledge at Wharton's McCool Pania and me, Robbie Shell, to discuss the implications of this deal, not just for the two companies involved, but for the whole media and entertainment industry. Pete, Disney is clearly hoping that the acquisition will make it once again Hollywood's preeminent animation studio, while Pixar is hoping, well, what? What's in it for Pixar? From the perspective of each of those players, there's not much going on here. And there's there's a, a strong relationship between the two firms. It goes back many, many years. Yeah, they've had some bumps in the road, but uh, no one's ever questioning whether Disney would continue to distribute the Pixar films or whether Pixar would continue to make them for Disney. So, so at the surface, there's really nothing much new other than the, the new role that Steve Jobs will take on. And that by itself doesn't seem to be enough to justify uh, all the attention and speculation uh, about this particular piece of news. Well, that, that's a very interesting point because one of the important assets that Disney gains is exactly Steve Jobs. What will that mean for Disney to have Steve Jobs as its biggest shareholder and a board member? I don't think it's necessarily going to mean as much as people would uh, like to think. It doesn't mean that Steve is taking over the company. Uh, he'll just be one of 14 people on the board of directors. And I don't think that Bob Iger is going to just step aside and, and, and let Jobs uh, call all the shots. So I think people would like to see big, dramatic things happen. That just makes for better news. But uh, it, it's not obvious what will happen or, or when uh, big steps will happen. One of the uh, interesting uh, points of silence on, on all this discussion and news coverage has been uh, ABC and ESPN and the other Disney assets. We keep hearing about the films, and of course that's, that's very important. I don't mean to diminish that. But if there's going to be any real genuine synergies here, as you always hope to see uh, in, in this kind of M&A activity, it's going to be how you can link up those assets as well. And I'm not saying that that won't happen. Uh, maybe it's a good thing that people aren't speculating about that just yet. But I think that's where the action is, is, is how they can bring in th those other very valuable assets into the mix here as well. Uh, one Financial Times columnist today said that he was worried that Pixar, which is known uh, as a, as a free-spirited, non-hierarchical group, might become what he calls Disney-fied, weighted down by bureaucracy, hierarchy, micromanagement, turf battles, all that. In your opinion, Pete, which company's culture will survive? Well, that's certainly been a central point of, of a lot of the speculation, and it's been very big news that it looks like it'll be Pixar people uh, who, will, who will actually now run Disney animation. So the, the hope is that, that that Pixar spirit will remain intact, and if Disney was uh, had any sense about them, they would uh, let that be the case, since Pixar has such a, an unbelievably strong track record. I think Disney is finally at a point where they realize that the old way of doing things hasn't been working, which is why they're open to the deal, which is why they, I suspect they're also open to truly letting the Pixar people uh, ex exert that, that free spirit and, and move Disney in the direction that, that they should have been moving in recent years. As, as you said before, uh, uh, Pixar and Disney have had a relationship for quite a while, going back about 12 years, I think. And it always hasn't been the smoothest ride. In fact, when Michael Eisner was the CEO, it did seem like he and Jobs had some, some conflict. So, and, and it almost seemed like the distribution deal 
that they had uh, was going to be wound up after the movie Cars was delivered by Pixar over to Disney. Uh, based on what Robbie was just asking about the culture, do you think that there are still some elements of that cultural clash that are likely to continue between Pixar and Disney? Or, it, it, or, or now that you know Eisner is no longer in the picture and it's Bob Iger who's calling the shots, do you think that's a you know, matter of the past? It's very tempting to say that you remove Eisner and everything changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's no question that he exerted a great deal of influence on, on the organization. But the organization consists of many, many, many people, many, many, many senior managers mm-hmm. uh, who collectively have at least as much of a voice in not only the direction of the organization, but just its day-to-day operations than any one person sitting at the top. So it's, it's tempting to say that, that you'll have this, this, this dictum from the top, that we are all going to work together, we are now going to be this different kind of culture, but that's just a function of the people. And so I think some of the resistance that, that's uh, made Disney somewhat stagnant in recent years is still in place. Uh, but hopefully all of those individuals, and not just the few at the top, uh, will see the opportunity that's available to them and will start uh, acting a little bit differently. Where do you see this acquisition helping Disney in other areas besides animation, such as, for example, revitalizing the theme parks? Well, again, there's the theme parks, there's the the, the networks, the the other Disney assets. I'm not really sure. It's it's very... it's, It's... it's tempting to say that Pixar is just so clever and entrepreneurial and out of the box and this and that that they could just apply that thinking to each of these other assets and all of a sudden they'll be as successful as, as Pixar has been. I don't think it's quite that easy. Uh, and, and, th- and that's why I think it's good that we haven't seen a great deal of speculation about that kind of carryover. Uh, I think the, the, the bigger thing is they just want to get uh, Steve Jobs on board and that he is this, this visionary and all these other wonderful adjectives that people use to describe him and hoping that, that he himself is going to inject some new thinking into those other assets. Again, people aren't sure what that's going to be, but it just seems that, that, that uh, people, especially uh, on, the, uh, on, on the Hollywood side of things, have just so much faith in what Jobs has done in other domains that he can apply that same magic to theirs as well. Uh, could you uh, talk a little bit about uh, what's happened with Pixar and Disney in the context of what's going on more broadly in the media and entertainment business? For example, I was just reading the most recent uh, editorial in, in The Economist uh, where they, they say that the uh, market value of Google is now as high as that of Disney, Comcast and Viacom combined. Uh, will this deal with Pixar change uh, the way in which these old media companies, or at least Disney, is seen by the market? What's happening in the media landscape? Well, it might change the way that they're seen. Again, having a Steve Jobs sitting in the boardroom is just going to make them appear to be different. But in terms of just the assets they have in place, as we said, th- th- this is just uh, effectively formalizing a deal that's already existed. Uh, some of the uh, arrangements between, let's say, Pixar and uh, and the iPod have already existed. You can get a lot of the Pixar films uh, uh, through uh, iPod already. So I don't see any dramatic changes in either the content or the delivery. Uh, and, and I think if they're really going to catch up to Google, uh, they're going to need much more uh, broad sweeping changes uh, or other acquisitions in order to do that. And I don't think that that's a wise move. I think that they, it's in their shareholders' best interest just to make the most of what they have. And by uh, coming up with this 
clever but not earth-shattering uh, combination of content and delivery, I think they're moving in the right direction. Well, it, it sounds like you think this, this whole deal has been overhyped. Well, in general, when you look at, at big uh, conglomerates, media and entertainment conglomerates coming together, they're always overhyped, and certainly the AOL Time Warner is one that we, we all can think about. Uh, it's interesting that this deal has probably gotten more press than the, 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 the bidding for Guidant, even though there's much more money uh, on the table for that one. But most Americans just aren't interested in that. So, so part of this isn't, isn't about business per se. It's about entertainment. <laughs> the, 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 the medium becomes the message in that regard. So, uh, yes, I think it has been overhyped. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it's a bad deal. Uh, I, I don't want to sound at all negative about it. I'd um, be very interested to see how it plays out. And I actually think that this one has more potential than the ALL Time Warner one to, to really find some, some genuine synergies. But I think people still need to put it all in perspective before jumping to those kinds of conclusions. Great. Well, Great. it's been very illuminating talking with you. Uh, thanks very much for your time. My pleasure.